Welcome to the best works of emerging explicit romance authors. Our curators select a wide variety of tales about the lifelong human quest for satisfying, lasting, and meaningful expressions of sexual health. Steamy Stories Daily Podcast focuses primarily on short stories. Explicit Novels Daily Podcast presents longer format novels over a span of episodes. Subscribe to both Steamy Stories and Explicit Novels in your favorite podcasting app. And now, today's story. Jasmine and the Argonaut, Part 4 The Black Cat In Four Parts, by Rachel Jane Listen to the podcast at Steamy Stories Chapter 16, An Evening with Paolo Of course, I should have realized that there is an ulterior motive to his request. But I'm a willing participant to his brilliant scheme, even if technically I'm the victim. The lively dance music is sensuous, and our bodies are almost constantly in contact. I'm not sure if it's the desire building inside me, or the strenuous activity that is making my clothes stick to me. Our bodies are glistening with sweat, and the effect is driving me wild. As the dance progresses, our bodies seem to come into contact more and more until we are moving like a single being. When the music ends, I don't want to part. But the dancing is only the first stage of Paolo's seduction. We need a shower, he says, taking my hand and escorting me from the room. I don't make any effort to resist, even though I know he means for us to share a shower. In fact, far from resist, I feel a tremor of desire at the prospect. I'm neither mistaken nor disappointed in Paolo's plan. I've never showered with another person before, let alone a virile young man whose motives are as plain as day. I follow his lead and we undress each other. That act alone arouses me even more. Then we enter the cubicle and Paolo sets the buttons to start the water. I don't know if these showers are programmed to cater for a shower for two, but everything about it is wonderful. When Paolo starts soaping me, I practically explode with desire as his hands work their dastardly deed. He kisses me and knows he has me where he wants me. Or so he thinks. I'm still in control of some of my emotions and manage to achieve the same sort of response from him as my hands work on his body. It's a challenge both of us do our best to win. His hands work wonders between my legs, while I soon have his cock eager for more of my attentions. Who can be first to push the other into an orgasm? I've the advantage of my gender and can hide an orgasm. But for Paolo, the evidence of my claimed victory is obvious, whereas I secretly know Paolo won in reality. The shower program ends after about 15 minutes. We are definitely clean and no trace remains of the effects from our dancing or from our water games. For the moment our lust is sated. But not for long. Neither of us bothered to dress, and I know full well what awaits me beyond the door opposite the one we entered. Ready? asks Paolo. Yes, I'm ready, I reply, taking the opportunity to kiss him. Paolo lifts me up and carries me into the suite's bedroom. We have nearly four hours before the sensible part of my mind is needed again. Chloe is due to return at 2 a.m. and I need to be back in my dormitory by then if I want to avoid a confrontation. Given her actions last night, I'm not going to give her another opportunity to sabotage my chances in the Argonaut. However, between now and then I intend to explore all the opportunities this night presents.
I was a shy and inexperienced maiden when I arrived yesterday. I shall not be leaving in the same state. To describe the next four hours as sensational or wonderful barely does justice to the emotions Paolo drew from me. Or to the emotions I clearly drew from him. I lost count of the number of times we fucked, each time in a different position. Had circumstances been different I'm sure we would have a longer-term relationship. Perhaps one involving genuine love for each other. But we both know that isn't likely to be. Sensible Jasmine rejoins me with 20 minutes to spare before my imposed deadline. I'm glad Paolo doesn't resist my move to leave. If he held me back, I'm certain I would risk Chloe's wrath for another half hour with Paolo. I've no idea what she has been up to with Sarah tonight, and to be honest, I don't care. But Chloe left me in no doubt she that intends to eliminate me from the Argonaut given the slightest opportunity. An impression neither Paolo nor Cassius have done anything to dispel. With a final kiss and a sorrowful farewell, I enter the elevator with the most wonderful memories of tonight. Despite it being after 2 o'clock in the morning, I find Harper standing in the corridor outside our dormitory when I arrive. He's remarkably sober for this time of night, but he practically falls over in surprise when he sees me. What are you doing here, says Harper, as he recovers from his shock. This is my quarters, I reply, slightly annoyed he is questioning me like this. That's not what I mean. If you are out here, then who is the girl with Patrick in our dormitory? I'd forgotten about Sheba. She and Patrick must have hit it off all right if she is still here. Um, it's probably Sheba, I reply to Harper's question. I met her earlier tonight and introduced her to Patrick. They must have discovered they have a lot in common. And who is Sheba? She's the daughter of Samargon Bigwig. She was heading for the party on the top floor when I realized Patrick might be the sort of company she was really wanting. Hmm, I suspect there's more to this than you are telling me, adds Harper. But well done on finding Patrick a potential benefactor. I don't suppose you rustled up a benefactor for yourself in the process? Ah. Uh, yes, I do believe I have, I reply, remembering I put Sarah's business card in my pocket. Her name is Sarah. She said she wanted to me to contact her if I'm a winner of the Argonaut. Harper looks at Sarah's card, the one which contains nothing but a picture of a black cat. He suddenly goes very serious. And just how did you meet the Sarah of yours, sweetheart? You weren't supposed to leave the building tonight. The employees of Le Chat Noir don't do house calls. I didn't leave this building. Sarah isn't an employee, she's one of the owners of Le Chat Noir. She was here on business earlier this evening. We got talking, and she said she wanted to talk to me afterwards. Is that going to be a problem? What is Le Chat Noir anyway? And how do you know about it? Never mind how I know about Le Chat Noir, and you're too young to understand what sort of business it conducts. Okay, keep your secrets. Anyway, I had a good time tonight, and now I feel ready for bed. Where are the others if Patrick and Sheba are alone in the dormitory? They've having a slumber party of their own downstairs. I suggest you go and join them if you plan on sleeping tonight. I take a quick shower in the communal bathroom, mainly to soothe some of the many tender spots around my body. 
Several parts of me received more exercise and attention tonight than they've ever received before. What started out as a gentle tumble in bed progressively increased in tempo until Paolo and I were being quite rough with each other in our lovemaking. I probably discovered as much about myself as I did about Paolo. My only regret is it has left me wanting to repeat the whole encounter again and again, and I know that is likely to be impossible. The warm glow I was feeling when I left Paolo returns by the time I find my roommates in the downstairs lounge, and my head hits my makeshift pillow. Sleep quickly follows. Chapter 17, The Argonaut I join an equally sleepy Patrick for breakfast at 8 o'clock. He's in a much happier mood than yesterday. I try to think of the right way to apologize for practically throwing Sheba into his bed last night, but Patrick speaks before I can say anything. Thank you for what you did last night, he says. I don't know how you managed it, but Sheba was just the person I needed. And if Sheba was being truthful, I was the person she needed. Um, that's okay, I reply. Sorry if I practically threw her at you, but I was late for the, er, party upstairs. Hmm. Sheba mentioned she was going to a party before she met you. But it didn't sound like the sort of party I thought you would be interested in. Sheba made it sound like it was all scantily clad girls competing for Paolo's favor. Perhaps the rumor about Paolo and some dark-haired beauty dancing naked in a roof garden are true after all, he laughs. Where did you hear that rumor? I ask. I'm sure it's greatly exaggerated. Some of the contestants were talking while we were waiting in the studio yesterday. You must have heard them, oh. No, of course, you arrived a bit later. Wait a minute. Harper let slip, there are rumors circulating about Paolo and a girl who fits your description. Are you the girl referred to in that rumor? Is the rumor true? Of course the rumor is wrong, we weren't dancing, I reply keeping my tone light. That came much later. But I admit I'm the girl in the rumor. Are there are other rumors about me? It's very difficult to get some privacy here, with all the security cameras everywhere. You don't need to apologize to me. I only wish I had half your courage to defy convention and take what you need. Patrick and I are back to being pleasant to each other and able to talk without any awkwardness. I just hope he and I don't have to compete against each other today. While there can be multiple winners of the Argonaut, some challenges involve head-to-head -head tests in which one of two contestants is eliminated from the Argonaut. At 9.30, 46 of the 50 original contestants are standing in the huge hall that will be the main testing center for today's Argonaut challenges. Apparently, four contestants have already been eliminated. Despite plenty of rumors, nobody seems to know the reason, and the Argonaut officials are saying nothing on the subject. I can't help wondering whether Sabotage had a part to play in the contestants' elimination. The Argonaut officials are easily recognized by their bright purple gowns. The woman in charge has lots of gold trim on her gown, as if to reinforce her status here. Even the other officials seem nervous about being near her. By the end of the day, at least 20 more of you will have been eliminated, she announces to us all. For the first challenge, you will be divided into seven groups. When your name is called, go and stand under the colored banner of your group over there. Another official reads out everyone's names in group order. 
I'm in green group, along with Patrick, Chloe, Mansell, and two other contestants I don't know. Paolo is placed in yellow group, and Vincent in blue. Once we are all assembled in our allocated group, an official marches each group off to a different room. Last night, you have each been approached by citizen of Argonne City, and received a card from them. The card indicates that the citizen is willing to provide you with employment in the city, should the Argonaut assessment panel be willing to loan you the money that you need to buy your freedom. Now, place the card on the table in front of you. Fortunately, I've kept Sarah's card in my pocket, heeding her advice that it may prove useful. Is this what she meant when she said that? I notice Chloe has a similar card, although the black cat on her card is lying on its back, while mine looks as though it is stalking a mouse. I presume Sheba was the source of Patrick's card. The official studies each card and checks it against something written on his notepad. A grunt is the only indication that everything seems to be in order. He tells us to retrieve our cards. Your next decision will be critical to your success or otherwise in the Argonaut, says the official. You must now decide whether to accept your sponsor's offer of employment. If you haven't discussed the employment terms and wish to discuss them with your sponsor before accepting, then you should decline the current offer. I will now ask you in turn whether you accept or decline the offer. Patrick, Chloe, and I are the only three of us who accept the employment offer. In my case, it is a rash decision based on a few minutes of conversation with Sarah last night. I could be agreeing to something I will soon regret, but I'm more terrified of being eliminated from the Argonaut than accepting an unknown job. The three of us are escorted to yet another room and told to wait. We wait. And we wait some more. Finally Ellen and Cassius turn up. Good. That's all sorted, says Ellen, handing each of us an envelope. Read those later. You must go to your dormitories and pack your things. Meet by the front door in 45 minutes. What's going on? asks Patrick. Have we been eliminated from the Argonaut? No. No. On the contrary. You have all been granted a loan and a work permit for the city. You will be transported to your new employer's place of business. He or she will sort out everything else. It's all explained in the letter I've just given you. It takes me a few moments to remember to breathe. In my wildest dreams, I never imagined winning the Argonaut would be so quick and easy. I had mentally prepared myself for a day of tests and challenges, and an anxious wait tomorrow for the final result. Packing my few belongings takes all of five minutes. I had already returned the jewels of desire to Ellen first thing this morning. With over half an hour to spare, I sit down to read my letter. Ellen has covered all the salient details in her answer to Patrick's question. My indenture to the Buchanan overlord has been purchased by the Bureau of Ancillary Services for just under 8,000 credits, which I must repay from my earnings over the next five years. Failure to repay the loan by the deadline means my indenture will be sold to any Argonne citizen willing to buy it, and I will once again be a serf. I'm to be employed as a hostess at the Black Cat Club, working five days a week. The letter doesn't contain any further details about the job or what it entails. With the letter is a laminated work permit confirming I am authorized to work in the city center and travel to and from Buchanan Settlement. Patrick and I join Chloe by the front door, as instructed.
There's no sign of Alan or Cassius, and I realize that we might be taken from here without the opportunity to say goodbye to anyone. A small bus arrives a short while later, and the driver tells us to get on board. Ellen and Cassius appear at the last moment and wave us off as we drive away. The bus has only a short journey before we arrive outside an odd-shaped office building surrounded by a jumble of similar-sized buildings. Patrick disembarks after sharing a brief farewell and good wishes. He suggests that we keep in touch. I say, yes, although I'm not sure how achievable that will be. We have a slightly longer drive into the heart of the city center before the bus stops outside a building in what is clearly part of an entertainment district. The bus departs as soon as Chloe and I step onto the wide footpath. From the street, the Black Cat Club looks very unimpressive. The ground floor doorway consists of a wide metal frame housing twin white doors, each with a black cat motif on the upper panel. There are no door handles, nor any doorbell to attract attention. Did you come here last night? I ask Chloe, risking a hostile reply. I don't know, replies Chloe. I was made to wear a hood for most of the journey. If it's the same place, then I'll recognize it once we are inside. Which, of course, is the problem. How do we get inside? Chapter 18, Arrival at the Black Cat The area is quiet at this hour of the morning and there is no sign of activity at the club. Gaining access to the club is going to be a problem we need to solve on our own. I study the door and the surrounding frame. On door frame, either side of the doors, are two dark square pads with a motif of a cat on them. The one on the right has a stocking cat, like on the card Sarah gave me. The left-hand pad has a cat lying on its back, similar to the one on the card in Chloe's possession. Chloe tries pushing the pad in case it is a doorbell of sorts. The pad is solid so there is no audible or visible response. We wait a few moments in case what Chloe has done has summoned someone inside. However, nobody comes to the door, so I consider trying something else. I bring out my card and place it over the pad with the matching cat symbol. Success. The door on the right makes an audible sound as though a lock is being released. I push on the door and it swings open. Inside is short but wide hallway with a row of turnstiles left and right of a central column. The turnstiles are controlled by the same sort of pad we saw on the outside door. Those to the right of the column ahead of us have a symbol that matches my card while those on the left match Chloe's card. We each pass through one of the turnstiles, matching our respective card. Once through to the other side, we find ourselves separated by a wall. I'm now in a different corridor to the one Chloe entered, and I'm unsure how we can meet up again without reversing our route. There's still nobody about, and I'm beginning to worry about my rash choice to accept Sarah's offer without further details. Are you still there, Chloe? I call. Yeah. There's a staircase, going down to a lower level. I'm fairly sure this is where I was brought last night. There's no staircase on my side, I reply. The corridor here seems to go past a cloakroom into a large room at the end. Well, let's explore our own area and see if we can find someone, replies Chloe. I quickly check that the cloakroom is empty before entering the large room at the end. It's a nightclub, with a huge dance floor bordered by several rows of tables and chairs on two sides, a stage on the third side, 
and a bar next to where I have entered on the fourth side. On the other side of the bar to the entrance door is an archway, hopefully leading to an office, or somewhere that someone will be working. I eventually find an office where a woman about my age is working. She doesn't seem surprised to see me and introduces herself as Honeydew. The Bureau sent me your details, but I haven't had time to record them in our system, says Honeydew. If you take a seat in the lounge over there, I'll do that now. Okay, I reply. I arrived with another woman, Chloe. The card she was given sent her through the left-hand turnstiles when we arrived. She will be looked after downstairs, replies Honeydew. Don't concern yourself about her. Honeydew's attitude towards Chloe strikes me as odd, but I accept her assurance that Chloe will be looked after. Since Chloe isn't a friend, I put her out of my mind for now. After about 15 minutes, Honeydew joins me in the lounge. She hands me some documents and a card similar to the one Sarah gave me last night. This card, however, is laminated like my work permit and has a copy of the photograph I supplied for the Argonaut on the reverse. At her request, I hand over the card Sarah gave me. The identity card allows you access to the club, says Honeydew. You've already discovered how it works. The documents are your terms of employment and your scheduled work hours for the next two weeks. A fifth of your earnings will be paid directly to the Bureau of Ancillary Services to repay your loan. Let me know if you ever want to make an additional payment. If you have any questions, then come and talk to me. What should I do now? I ask. The club opens in just over an hour. Sarah will arrive just before then. I suggest you take a walk around the club and get an idea where everything is located. I do as Honeydew suggests, although there isn't much more on this level than I've already found. The gender-neutral toilets and a set changing rooms are the only rooms I haven't explored when I entered the club. There's a locked door next to the bar, near to the one I entered. As seems typical of the club, the lock is controlled by the proximity of my identity card. Rather than wander around aimlessly, I try opening the door. The door opens onto a short corridor in front of two sets of stairs leading to the floors above and below. I take a quick look upstairs first. The landing at the top leads to what turns out to be a set of bedrooms, fitted out for some adventurous sex games. I then go basement level to see if I can locate Chloe. After my experiences over the last 24 hours I'm not surprised to see the basement is fitted out like some medieval dungeon. There's a dance floor and bar looking incongruous with the cages and restraints liberally scattered around the place. Every square pillar supporting the building above has four sets of shackles dangling down from above. That's where I find Chloe, chained by her wrists, to one of the pillars. Are you okay? I ask Chloe when I see her chained with her arms raised high above her head. She can only stand on her tiptoes. Yes, Miss Jasmine, replies Chloe, indicating with her eyes that one of the many security cameras is watching us. Mistress is fetching my uniform. I'll be fine. I quickly overcome my shock at Chloe addressing me in the way she did, but I suppose she knew from last night how she would be treated here. Even with that knowledge, Chloe accepted the offer to work here without further inquiry. I'm not sure what more I can say to her, so I simply nod an acknowledgement of her signal and continue my exploration of the dungeon.
My experience with kinky sex is negligible, and I can't pretend to understand the purpose of some of the equipment around the room. I find it fascinating, but also a little scary. You must be Jasmine, says a woman dressed in a black studded leather outfit. I'm Caitlin. I turn to look at the woman who has just entered from the door on the other side of the bar. Her blonde hair has fastened in a plate, which is pinned around her head. If I had to guess at her age, I would say that she was in her mid-thirties, but it difficult to be sure in the subdued lighting of the dungeon. Yes, hello, I reply. Honeydew suggested that I explore the club while I'm waiting for Sarah to arrive. That's no problem. But if you are waiting for Sarah, then I suggest you return upstairs. Sarah arrived a few minutes ago. I promptly do as Caitlin suggests. I find Sarah in the office talking to Honeydew. Ah. Jasmine. Excellent. I wasn't sure if you would understand my offer, and I had half expected you to be standing out on the street wondering how to get into the club. I'm pleased you understood on both counts. Welcome to Le Chat Noir. We can discuss your duties while I find you an appropriate uniform to wear. Sarah concludes her business with Honeydew and then she escorts me to one of the changing rooms I had noticed earlier. These are the changing rooms. Rooms 1 to 4 are for visiting artists, 5 and 6 are for staff use. It can get crowded in here at busy times, so I recommend that you change into and out of your uniform at home. Honeydew will allocate one of these lockers for your belongings. Sarah proceeds to describe my duties. Although my job title is given as hostess my duties include almost every task that could be expected of someone working in a nightclub, particularly one catering for clients with exotic sexual perversions. My base salary is no more than I was earning at the recycling factory in Buchanan, but with the added costs of my loan repayment and travel to and from work. However, Sarah indicates some of the many ways I can voluntarily supplement my earnings at the club. Although I don't start work until tomorrow, I spend the next couple of hours observing the club in action and meeting some of the other staff. Chapter 19, A Session with Iris By the start of my third week working at Le Chat Noir, I've reorganized my life to suit my variable hours of work. I've also decided, at least for now, which extra services I am willing to provide at the club in order to supplement my earnings. Tips from serving drinks at tables provide a small but steady boost to my income. But until I pay off the loan the Bureau of Ancillary Services provided to buy my freedom, I need to earn more. Prostitution is tolerated by the club, but that's something I'm uncomfortable with doing. However, more subtle or specialized sexual services are something I could manage, particularly when it comes to helping out in the dungeon downstairs. Even Caitlin and Sarah seem impressed with the ease that I've adapted to being a part-time dominatrix. I confess that I like the leather gear I'm given to go with the role. When I'm not needed as a dominatrix in the dungeon, I put on a much skimpier outfit and work the floor in the main club. My outfit is inspired by the jewels of desire, with small semi-precious gemstones sewn into the glorified bra and panties that I normally to wear. The effect from wearing either of my regular costumes gives me a warm and pleasant feeling I associate with sexual arousal. However, I refuse all offers of sex, despite my traitorous body wanting to comply. Hello, princess, comes a familiar voice as I pass one of the tables on a busy night. 
Paolo. I didn't know if I would see you again. Hmm. Like everyone else, I was shocked when you disappeared from the Argonaut. We all assumed you had been eliminated. It's only when I met Chloe last week that I discovered what happened. I was lucky to find a sponsor and job that suits me, I reply. How about you? I was one of the nine Argonaut winners in addition to Patrick, Chloe, and you. That's a fairly typical success rate for the Argonaut these days. I've got a job with a building maintenance company, nice regular hours although the pay isn't that great. I presume your job means you must work nights? Yes. The club doesn't open until mid-afternoon and stays open until the early hours of the morning. I'm normally working from 6 o'clock in the evening until the club closes around 3 or 4 the next morning. That must make it difficult for you to get home after work, observes Paolo. There are several of us in the same situation. We're allowed to sleep on one of the beds upstairs until the first train services start in the morning. As long as my travel card shows me traveling to and from Buchanan every day, then I satisfy the city's rules about residency. I had hoped we could resume where we left off during the Argonaut, says Paolo. But our different work hours are going to make that difficult. I'm sure we can work something out, I reply, although I've no idea how we might achieve it. Anyway, how did you get in here tonight? Are you a member of Le Chat Noir? Chloe managed to get me a guest pass for tonight. The pass doesn't seem to allow me access to downstairs. Only members of Le Chat Noir can enter the dungeon, I reply. Is that where Chloe works? asks Paolo. She was very evasive when I asked her. What does she do down there? Chloe works downstairs, but you'll need to ask her about her duties. That's not the sort of detail I can provide. I'm being equally evasive as Chloe about her duties. Paolo might not understand Chloe's submissiveness and react in a way that could cause problems. I need to resume my work, Paolo. It's been great catching up. If you can find a way for us to meet up outside of work, then I'm okay with resuming where we left off, before. My departure from Paolo's company is a bit abrupt, but Sarah is trying to attract my attention from across the room. I promptly go over to where she is standing. Caitlin needs your services as a dominatrix downstairs, says Sarah. Go and change into your leathers and report to Caitlin. And Jasmine, play your cards right tonight and Caitlin's client could prove to be a very profitable source of extra income for you. But remember what I told you the first time we met about knowing when to keep your mouth shut about what you see. Yes, thank you, Sarah. I'll go and change at once. I quickly change and take the back stairs down to the dungeon level. Caitlin is helping out at the bar. The dungeon crowd is smaller than upstairs, but it is still fairly busy. Caitlin comes over to me and takes me into one of the side rooms. Although I am still new to playing the role of a dominatrix, Caitlin seems pleased with my efforts so far. I'll admit that the role eases my pent-up anger at the inequality in Argonne society. And the extra money it earns me is welcome and encourages me to develop my skills further. What I told Paolo wasn't entirely true. Access to the Black Cat's dungeon is restricted to the club's premium members, and even staff access is limited to a select few. 
Quite how I was designated as one of the few was a mystery to me at first. Eventually, Sarah admitted to her involvement in that decision after she saw how I handled wearing the Jewels of Desire during the Argonaut. This will be the tenth session I've run as a dominatrix. Two of my clients have returned for a second session, although it's too early in my career to call them regulars. Caitlin takes me to one side and hands me some extra items to complement my outfit. A leather paddle and handcuffs are placed in a black leather bag along with a few lengths of rope. My rope tying skills are still work in progress, but I can handle a few basic restraints. My outfit is finished off with a black leather mask covering much of my face. I don't anticipate any problems, but we had best keep your identity secret until we are sure there aren't going to be any repercussions, says Caitlin. Before I can balk at the implied danger, Caitlin ushers me into an area of the dungeon I normally avoid. This is the zone contains small private dungeons, and is reserved for the seriously perverted bondage freaks. Or at least, that's how Chloe described clients who hire the facilities in this area. When I see it up close, I suspect Chloe's description is slightly biased, but then, she and I are literally on opposite ends of the whip. The scantily clad female is waiting for me in one of the private dungeons. I am already mentally prepared to meet one of Argon's rich elite wanting to play at being a helpless submissive for an hour or two. I don't suppose it occurs to them that they could live and work in one of the settlements and achieve the same result at no cost. This is Slave Iris, says Caitlin by way of introduction. She is yours to command, Domina. Some clients prefer to call me by a name, whether my own or a made-up one. Others, like now, prefer to call me by a title such as Madam, Mistress, or an older style title, like Domina. Caitlin leaves us alone, which is my cue to begin. Kneel before me slave, I command, beginning a standard routine to establish the boundaries of this game. Iris obeys at once. By the time I have completed the initial routine I am satisfied that I understand what turns Iris on, and what commands I should avoid. If I want to maximize my earnings with repeat sessions, I must endeavor to provide the experience Iris desires. My preliminary assessment suggests that she is naturally submissive, and she is clearly wanting a session in which she is bound helpless and punished for whatever misdemeanor she wishes to confess. Even the prospect of being spanked with the paddle seems to turn her on. Despite Iris's willingness to be subjected to harsh treatment, I'm careful not to inflict any telltale marks on Iris's body. I recognize Iris from the numerous newsfeeds featuring the higher echelons of Argon society. Caitlin's warning was justified. No matter how willing Iris may be to the discipline I'm imposing, I'm well aware that her father is one of the generals of Argon's ruling junta. How amenable he will be to me satisfying his daughter's fetish is a big unknown. I'm starting to attune myself to Iris's likes and dislikes. I don't know what motivates her fetish for bondage, which makes it harder for me to deliver the right intensity of control. I have handcuffed her to a ring high in the wall so that she must stand with her arms raised. I complete her bonds with ankle cuffs anchored to rings in the floor which hold her legs slightly apart. On impulse I run my hand between Iris's legs and stroke her lacy panties. It's a tentative touch to test her reaction, which is everything I hoped it might be. She starts humping my hand, which I allow her to do for a few moments until I sense she is working up to a climax. 
I withdraw my hand before she can peek. I repeat the exercise numerous times, and eventually, I allow her to climax. She practically weeps with joy once her orgasm subsides. I tease her with the paddle, and before long she is whimpering for my touch. The sense of empowerment it gives me is arousing me as much as the visible effect our games are having on Iris. I even have Iris satisfy my own needs by tonguing my cunt until I achieve an orgasm. It is customary for the client to indicate when the session is to end by saying the standard club safe word kitty cat. Iris doesn't seem to be in any hurry to end the session, which runs for a mammoth three hours. Eventually, she is too exhausted to continue and she brings our session to an end. By now it is well past midnight and both of us are tired. Thank you, Domina, says Iris, once I have freed her from her latest bondage. Are you free for another session tomorrow night? My availability is managed by the club's owners, I respond with the answer Caitlin requires me to give to such a request. Then we shall speak with Caitlin, replies Iris, no longer the submissive slave she was ten minutes ago. We return to the main part of the dungeon, which still has a reasonable number of patrons, despite the late hour. Caitlin is still working at the bar and has no hesitation in agreeing to Iris's request for my services tomorrow night. When I finally finish work at three o'clock in the morning, I get the chance to open the envelope containing my bonus for tonight. It's more than I thought possible, and it reinforces my desire to train further in the art of being a dominatrix. However, I know I mustn't get overconfident since the sessions with Iris could end at any time, and secrecy about her identity is essential. I consider the next step in my strange and unexpected career. Navigating the Argonaut was easier than I expected, but that owed a lot to chance and making risky choices. I made it, though. Now all I need to do is survive in the murky world of Argon's powerful elite. But that's another story. By Rachel Jane for Literatica. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We hope you found pleasure and inspiration. Come back tomorrow as we continue to bring you more explicit romance tales and subscribe to our podcast feeds in your mobile devices to access our entire library of hundreds of daily episodes. Happy dreams.